Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, review, hang out with us for a while. Right here on the Jam Session Podcast. Sponsored as always by Greening Law. A personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas, Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, that moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, though? I would be the non-sexy one. It's Matt McLaren, and this is Jam Session, the podcast, version 263, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. Oh, we got a lot. There's a lot to get into. These top 10 lists with the Cowboys and the various positions around the league, I think, honestly, really paint a picture of what this team (laughs) truly is. So we'll reveal some of the latest to come out. We got all sorts of stories to get into in our trip around the block. Got a little interesting news around the Texas Rangers, and we'll cover that all here throughout the course of the podcast. But none of it happened without our friends and the good people, the greatness of Robert Greening and his team, the Green Team at Greening Law. I've been talking about this for a year. It literally happened. The one-year anniversary of my car wreck was actually like two days ago. And I was hurt in a car accident and I have been dealing with back problems ever since. And I've had some different things done. I've gone through a variety of different processes trying to see, is there any way to get me again, the healing and renewal to put me at a point that I feel like I was at before I had my accident and greening law handles all that stuff, man. The phone calls, the scheduling, the insurance companies, the calls from people, once Greening Law brings you on, it, it's like not only are they your lawyer, it's like they're your competitor against the insurance companies. They're your shield against all that crap. That's what Greening Law is, and they're fantastic at what they do. Dude, and that's why you need to pick up the phone, 972-934-8900. If you're ever involved in any kind of mishap, accident like that, car accident, business accident, and let them see if they can help you because who wants to walk through this kind of process by yourself? Greening Law, the green team, Robert Greening, the things that they do, they walk you through the process because you're going up against somebody else's insurance company, man, and you don't want to fight that fight by yourself. That's a David and Goliath fight. You bring in Robert and the green team, all of a sudden it's a fair fight. It is. It is indeed, and it's easy to do. That's the thing. It's a consultation's free. 972-934-8900. 972-934-8900. It's Robert Greening. Call now. Offices, Dallas, Texas. So we've been going through this. We went through like maybe one or two positions. We talked about how Micah Parsons was ranked as the second best linebacker in the game. Demarcus Lawrence got like honorable mention for edge rusher or something like that, or was in others named or one of those things. And you look at this and again, and this is something that ESPN has been doing for the last couple of years. 
And they have gone through and polled 50, over 50, league executives, coaches, scouts, players, to stack the top 10 players at 11 different positions. And, you know, these are a variety of different people across the scope of the NFL, but the NFL is how they all make their living, and, and they would be the experts on the NFL because they're in the league. And the last few days... The, they have put out cornerbacks, safeties, interior offensive linemen, quarterbacks, and running backs. Now, obviously, the Cowboys did not have a safety that was listed. I don't think that comes as any surprise to anybody. Interior offensive linemen, I, I don't know that anybody would be stunned by this, but Zach Martin, yes, much like Mark, Micah Parsons. If there are two Cowboys that you feel like you could pull off the roster that would start on any team in the league, I think it's probably Micah Parsons and Zach Martin. And I don't know if anybody else would, but I guarantee you those two guys would start for basically every team in the league. Bro, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And Zach Martin was listed as the second best interior lineman behind Quentin Nelson. It's been like that the last couple of years. No surprise there. So let's go back to cornerbacks because Trayvon Diggs came out as a rookie and we saw some flashes. We saw some potential. I love Trayvon Diggs coming out of Alabama. He's a converted wide receiver. We kind of all know the connection he and his brother, Stephon Diggs, comes out in year two and all of a sudden throws up an 11 interception season, which you don't see in the NFL. This is not a league where guys are routinely going out and getting double digit interceptions. So obviously, anytime you see that, you go, okay. If nothing else, this is a dude who's a ball hawk who can make plays on the ball. But what's also interesting is that Trayvon Diggs has taken some chances. And when you look at this, he was ranked, according to all these people in the NFL, as the 10th best cornerback in the league. And I think some people, especially Cowboys fans, were like, wait, well, how do you have 11 interceptions and you're only the 10th bet? This is ridiculous. And I got to say, I don't disagree with it based on the comments that they put in this. Because no. one of the comments that an NFC defensive coach says in this, and I think this is him, he's boomer bust right now. I love his instincts, but if the cost is giving up a bunch of big plays, I don't love the interceptions. Dude, that's um, you know that's the question, and Todd Archer always talks about it, and he always uses uh, when he talks about it, he uses Byron Jones as the example. Like Byron Jones, we all complain, especially me. He ain't getting enough interceptions. What uh, you know? What's the problem? Blah blah blah. Uh, I'm not paying the guy eighty million dollars, and he doesn't turn the ball over. Now Arch would say, yeah, he's not doing that, but he's also not giving up a bunch of plays. Mm-hmm. And it's you know, what do you want? Uh, you want a bunch of interceptions and flash, but you give up a bunch of plays? Or you want a little fewer interceptions, but you're not giving up anything? It's a fair discussion. Um, and so the interesting thing to me is he's not getting 11 interceptions this year. No. So if you cut the interceptions back, but you're still giving up all that ass, then folks will be like, yo, what's up with this? But if you cut the interceptions back, which will happen, I think. Yeah. I mean, I'm almost sure it will happen. And yet you give up fewer plays, then, okay, you're just maturing as a player. So it's, it's going to be really interesting to see this year for him and how he performs because we can all talk about it, as Mama used to say, till we blew in the face. This really is a year that will just show us, you know, where he's at in his career. Yeah, it, it is going to, and, and to see how people respect him. But the point being here, when we talk boomer busts, so Trayvon Diggs, according to Next Gen Stats, 
was the nearest defender on 86 passes. 46 were completed out of those 86 for four touchdowns allowed. So you look at that and you go, okay, so out of 86 attempts where he was the nearest defender, he only gave up four touchdowns. They completed, I mean, that's roughly a little bit over 50% against them. But the 790 yards, so when they did complete passes, 790 yards on 46 passes is a little over 17 yards a completion. So that's the boom. That's the, well, that's the yeah, boom part is. of that. And, and so that's when you look at the stats and you go, okay, yeah, he had the 11 interceptions, which we all thought was phenomenal, and it was game-changing in many cases. That 17.1 yards against has got to come down. And, and oh, hell yeah, it is. That's one of the things. Like, for instance, an NFC defensive coach, a different guy than the one that was previously quoted, says that Diggs getting, is getting interceptions on plays that more seasoned corners – would play more soundly, less risk-averse because they know chances like that can hurt the team. And so you look at that and you say, okay, it's 11 interceptions versus how many times where he gave up huge plays. And there's a, there's a balance there that I think he's figuring out, but I do think that he's one of the better cornerbacks in the league. We're talking about a guy who is only a second-year player. He's going to improve. And, and as he learns and sees the tapes, some of those guys, man, there were great cornerbacks who took chances. And yeah, you can look at it and go, well, okay, but if you don't get the pick, I mean, that's a touchdown. Well, but he did get the pick. So the risk turned out. He takes risks, but a lot of the times he's capitalizing on the chances that he's taking. Well, yeah, that's that's what it's all about, man. Um, Now, the problem is when you don't get 11 interceptions, then it's a problem. Yes. Now, as I've told you, I mean, you got to figure out what's the reasonable number this year. Because 11 is not the reasonable number. Uh, my suspicion is, don't forget, he broke a record that's been around for 40 years or he tied a record that's been yeah. around for 40 years. He's not getting 11 this year. No. Everson Wallace came back with nine. Um, now, he may end up with seven, eight, or nine again. I can see that, and here's why. And take this for what it's worth, Matt. Folks, ain't, folks are not afraid to throw at him. <laughs> that's I mean, true. most times, cats drop off in picks because, you know what? I'm not going to mess with Matt McLaren over there. He might just pick it off and take it to the house. But when it's like, well, if we get him on this double move, we got six. Let's take a shot over there. We're not afraid of him. We yeah. just know that there's a risk involved. And so he may still have a few picks. Yeah, and I think at the end of the day that that's kind of where it comes down to is that understanding of balance. And like you just mentioned, I think the most elite cornerbacks, the guys that are at the top of that list, the Jalen Ramseys and so on in the league, you know, even Xavier Howards and guys like that, quarterbacks don't throw at them as much because they fear them in a sense of not only might they pick the ball, but I'm just not going to get a completion. Like there, there's no potential for a big play here. And like you're pointing out, they'll still throw at Trayvon Diggs because yeah, he may make a play or he may give me up a 25 yard completion. It's a little bit different. So right. the other thing that came out was the list of quarterbacks and I think everybody's always curious, and, and I'm always curious, how does the league view Dak Prescott? And I think for people who are rational about Dak Prescott, and you and I have spent, man, you realize we're coming up on the four-year anniversary of working together, because we started four years ago in September of 2018, we did two years of radio, and we're coming up on the second year anniversary of the podcast. And we have spent the last four years trying to help people understand that Dak Prescott is a good quarterback, sometimes a very good quarterback. He is not great. But for whatever reason, 
When you start talking about the good things that Dak does, people freak out and start ripping him. He's not Tom Brady. He's not Aaron Rodgers. Nobody ever said that he was. I don't know anybody who thinks Dak Prescott is a top five quarterback in the NFL. Does he have top five games? Are there weeks where you go, man, Dak was one of the top five quarterbacks this week? Yeah, he does. He also has games where you go, man, Dak was like an average quarterback this week. And so I'm always curious to see where people are going to put him. He did right. make the top 10. These 50 league executive scouts players, they have Dak Prescott ranked at number 10. Last year, he was ranked 7th. And I got to tell you, I think in most lists, that's probably as high as, ever, as I would ever put Dak. When I look at the quarterbacks around the league, I would put him somewhere 7 to 10. I have zero problem with him being listed as 10th. No, because after the top three or four, you can throw them up and have you juggle them as however you juggle them. And nobody should have an issue because you're pretty, pretty sure you can explain, you know, why you've got him here. If, you, if you've got him 10th, the guys you have, seven, eight, nine, you could make a case for them and nobody would say, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Just like if you had Dak 7th, nobody would say, oh, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. No, there's no way he's that. It just depends on how you like him and what you look for. In a uh, in a quarterback, and um, as long as you've got that done, it's all good. Yeah, and, and so you look at the guys ahead of him, and again, Aaron Rodgers is number one. Pat Mahomes is number two. You could flip them. Who cares? Awesome. Number three is Josh Allen from Buffalo. Number four is Tom Brady. Number five is Joe Burrow. The dude just played in a Super Bowl. I have zero problem with any of these. Matt Stafford, number six. The guy just won a Super Bowl. Good for him. Justin Herbert, seventh. And this is like you're talking about. You look at the guys in this range. So seven is Justin Herbert. Eight is Russell Wilson. Nine is Deshaun Watson, which I thought was interesting because he didn't play at all last year. We all are still super high on him. He's only 26 years old. That's based on what we saw over a year ago. We have no idea if he's going to play in 2022. How much rust is he going to have? What is he going to look like if he has to miss this whole season and comes back? He's 27 years old and hasn't played in two seasons. I still think he's going to be very good, but we don't know that. So I probably would have put Dak. I don't know that I would have had Deshaun Watson eligible for these rankings, to be honest with you. And then they have Dak Prescott 10th, just ahead of Lamar Jackson. Here are some of the comments about Dak. And if you don't agree with these, I don't know what to tell you because Jacques and I have been screaming this at you for four years. One NFC executive says he's a good but not great quarterback. He has to play well in the playoffs and prove he can take him to that next level. He's not in the top echelon. Yep, nailed it. Another offensive coach in the NFL says he has good poise in the pocket. He's sturdy. He's always been deadly when they space the field and empty. Sometimes needs an extra hitch to confirm things, but he's a good decision maker in their drop back game. I mean, that's Dak Prescott. And you can win with a guy who is not a Hall of Famer. You don't have to be a Hall of Fame quarterback to be able to win with him. Nope. And uh, all those things were spot on, man. And what if we talked about this year? Uh, Matter of fact, I'll probably write a piece about it uh, sometime in the next few days. This is a year where we'll find out whether whether he needs to be between 6 and 10 or 7 and 10 or whether he needs to be between 1 and 6. Because look at this, for right now, um, group of receivers, bro. Um, if he's going to get to maximize those guys and, and take this team 
a team I don't think is really that good, relatively speaking, and make a deep playoff run or get him to 12-5 and five again, he's going to have to play the way he played before he, got, before he broke his ankle. Um, and can he do that? Uh, I like Dak. I really love his approach. Um, he'll give you the best he has, and we'll just see what the best he has is, whether it's good enough. Because as I was talking to um, – I'll name drop for you a little bit yesterday. Uh, I went and talked to uh, Derek James, uh, the trainer for Errol Spence and uh, the the um, mm-hmm. I forget uh, the other brothers who had the rings, Charlo brothers, uh, one of whom's uh, also a world champion. And uh, we were talking about how you maximize a guy's ability. And what's what's it start with, man? It starts with talent, <laughs> because we were saying I was like, dude, me and you could train all day, every day, as hard as possible. I don't be a champion. Yeah. You know, so if you don't have a talent, then you can only get so far. And so Dak has a a lot of talent, man. And so it'll be interesting to see whether he can elevate his receivers. That's something Romo could do. I haven't seen Dak do it yet, but he didn't get a chance when he was a young guy because he wasn't good enough. He's certainly a better quarterback now than he was in year two when Amari Cooper showed up. Yeah. Um, so, you know, no, there's no better time than now to see what he what he can do and what he's all about. You got that right, man. He's going to have to this year. And again, Dak ranked 10th by everybody in the league, one spot ahead of Lamar Jackson, followed by Derek Carr, followed by Kyler Murray. And then the only other person who received any votes was Kirk Cousins, believe it or not. But, you know, it's interesting because I think some people are, like, are high on Kyler Murray, but you look at it and and. Like one exec said about Kyler Murray, if you can keep him in the pocket, he becomes very average. He has a hard time throwing over the middle. He plays backyard ball. He's always just been better than everybody else, but that catches up to you in the NFL. And I think that's a fair evaluation of Kyler Murray. That, that's one of the things I like when they do this exercise because you read about what these various people say about different guys around the league. And I think most right. of us read that. You're like, yeah, I mean, I, I tend to agree with that. That's a really good analysis of what these guys really are. Well, this is this is the, you know, sometimes, um, as we like to say, same thing, make you laugh, make you cry. In this respect, the reason why you write these stories and you give scouts and GMs anonymity is because you want them to give an honest assessment. All right. Mm-hmm. That's the good part. The part that makes you laugh, so to speak. The part that makes you cry is when people use this anonymity to take shots at other people. But don't provide any evidence for it. Like, oh, Jacques Taylor. Uh, yeah, good, good athlete. Very poor leadership qualities. Da 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 da. But they don't. There's never any any like explanation, any examples of how that happened. Uh, and that's also in the reporters. So they did a good job with this in terms of keeping it fair, in terms of your on the field performance and not letting people take shots about people that they, that they don't like for whatever reason. Yeah, and and so we go from quarterbacks to what came out today, and Jacques and I are recording this here on Tuesday morning. Many of you will be listening to this on Wednesday or later in the week, and the list that was released today is running backs. And, uh, man, you could even go back maybe a couple of years ago, and you would see Zeke Elliott for sure in the top five. Well, things change. And it's interesting because somebody who was drafted – well after him in his own draft is listed as the best running back in the NFL. I don't know that anybody would disagree with this right now. And that's Derrick Henry of the Tennessee Titans, who's 28 years old. But before he got hurt last year, was pacing for a 2,000-yard season. 
And we'll see how he bounces back, but he looked fine when he came back late in the year, even though he had that severe injury. Jonathan Taylor is basically tied with Derrick Henry as the top two running backs in the NFL. Then you have Nick Chubb third, Dalvin Cook fourth, Alvin Kamara fifth, Joe Mixon sixth, Christian McCaffrey seventh, Najee Harris eighth, Aaron Jones of the Green Bay Packers ninth. You're like, okay, well, I guess Zeke is 10th. Zeke is not in the top 10. That would be Javante Williams, who was a rookie last year. He is now with the Denver Broncos. The first person appearing in honorable mentions would be Austin Eckler, which would mean basically they have Zeke Elliott listed in honorable mentions. He would be 12th. He would be ranked as the 12th best running back. And as they say, his fall outside the top 10, a bit surprising considering he produced his third career 1,000-yard, 10-touchdown season. But one NFL, NFC executive says, and and again, nobody disagrees with this, he's still a good player. But that burst he once had just doesn't seem to be there. Okay, I think think that's fair. It is. Um, But here's, here's what I would say. If you took this poll after the first five games of last year before he got hurt, he'd probably be a top five or six back. And so, you know, I've, I've told y'all this before. You can still make it happen as a running back at 27. Tons of examples from Adrian Peterson, who I think had 2,000 yards at 27, to LaDainian Tomlinson, who had a good year, and several others. Um, 28 is, is amazing. 28 is the cutoff line. That's when people fall off a cliff. And so what I'm saying is, Zeke's about to turn 27 sometime in the next few days uh, as we head into training camp. Um, He can still do it this year if he's healthy. Now, you know, because Pollard is going to get more touches and stuff, his yards may may not be the same. But for him, man, I just look at his yards per carry. If he is having – if he's doing what he did last year, then his yards per carry will be fine and he'll be good. And it's a – he's in great shape like he was last year. His thing is, now, you know, he's a running back. He's older. He's had a lot of touches. Can he avoid injury? Because that's part of the deal. Yeah, that's true. But, but to your point, you know, if he can get up to that 4.2, that even, you know, a couple of years ago in 2019, 4.5 yards per carry would be phenomenal. And, and if you can do that, you're going to be fine. You know, everybody points to the rushing yards per game that drops off, and that's cool. And, and I get that. But you also have to play into account, like, for instance, last year, his attempts per game, he averaged le- like just a tick under 14 attempts per game. Whereas you look at what he was doing as a rookie, and even in 2017, the first three years of his career, he was averaging over 20 attempts a game. In the second year of his career, he's averaging 24 attempts per game. So essentially, in five seasons, it went from 24 attempts a game to last year, 13.9 attempts per game, rushing the football. And I would imagine it's probably going to be, if healthy, I I would think maybe around 15. Yeah. Uh, But some of it depends on... um... You know, if he's playing the way he played early last year, he'll get more. Um, if they're winning, he'll get more. If he's not playing the way he played last year, he'll get less. If Pollard has a uh, shows that he's ready to, to be an even bigger part of the offense as a runner, he'll get less. If they have to play from behind, he'll get less. So there's a lot of factors involved in that, man. But um, the key, and it won't take long to find out, man. You know, it's just what he looks like early in the year. 
And whether, and here's the other part, bro. Let's not overlook this part, dog. Whether his offensive line is worth a shit. Yeah, that's very true because it's not going to be. You know, if what you I mean, do, think run, about it, man. He's going to run behind Zach Martin every play? Bro, we're talking about a team that we thought had, you know, top three offensive line just a couple years ago. And now they've got Terrence Steele at right tackle instead of Lyle Collins, who was like a Pro Bowl caliber player. They've got Zach Martin. He's great. They've got Tyler Biotis, who's just a guy that at center, as opposed to Travis Frederick, who was a Pro Bowl player. They've got Tyler uh, Smith at left guard, who's had 14 holding calls at Tulsa. Now, they, you can explain it away however you choose to do that, dog. That would be a flashing red light. And then you got Tyron Smith, who's headed to the Hall of Fame at some point, but who... At his age, even though he's only like 32, he's been in the league 12 years, his body's taking a pound, yeah. and he hadn't played more than 13 games in five or six years. And while he's still excellent, he's no longer dominant, which means he can get beat, which he, he used to never get beat. And so if you're out, you basically what I'm saying is you got two guys who you can count on, and one of those guys is going to miss three to four games. <laughs> yeah. So – that affects your running back, whether it's Pollard or whether it's Zeke. And it affects Zeke more because he doesn't have the explosiveness that Pollard has. Yeah, and, and I get it because the real frustration of Cowboys fans comes where, and I don't know why people care. I mean, maybe they spent the money wrong, but everybody's always so irritated about money that's not their own. And I understand this. I mean, because he is going to have an $18.2 million cap hit in 2022. And he is obviously not producing anywhere near the level, nor would you expect him to produce near the level that would justify an $18.2 million cap hit, which is why, and you mentioned this earlier, it, it's really hard to see, regardless of what he does, unless there is a complete restructure of his contract, he's not going to be on the team past this season because in 2023, if they keep him, it's a $16.7 million cap hit. Then in 2024, 14-3, 2025, 17-1, you can walk away from the final three years of this deal after this season, and it's less than $12 million that you could spread out over three years, which would put you somewhere around $4 million a year in dead money instead of paying him what he's owed. There, there's just no way that Zeke Elliott's, again, without doing some sort of Demarcus Lawrence massive restructuring and, and taking less money, he's not going to be a cowboy. This is the final year. Yeah, that's what I would anticipate. I mean, I really would because it's it's an economic question. And so even if he has a dynamic year, you still got to go look at the tape, at, the, at history, man. The history says at 28, running backs fall off a cliff. And here's the kicker. For the most part, and I haven't put the research to it, but maybe I will because it's the kind of thing I do. Uh, if you put the research to it, those guys who have excelled at 28, or, you know, put up good, really good numbers at 28 are probably Hall of Fame running backs. Yeah. You know, because who did I mention? LT, Adrian Peterson. I think Emmett had 1,200 at 28, something like that. Um, you know, so, you know, it's a, there's a lot of, uh, here's a, here's a, there's a lot of very intriguing questions with the Cowboys this year, man. Here's the problem. Y'all take it for what it's worth, dog. The best teams don't have a lot of intriguing questions. <laughs> the best teams may have one or two. They don't have several. Yeah. And the Cowboys have several. 
Uh, matter of fact, that might be a good segment one day. We can talk about the heading into camp. Here are the questions that you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yes, damn. I know what you mean because it's very true and it's it's scary. It and really what is. Do we tell, and what do we tell y'all all the time? You got 10 questions. You're not getting 10 out of 10, right? Yep. You're getting probably 5 out of 10. And if you are blessed and highly favored and you've been going to church, you know, three out of four Sundays, you may get seven out of ten. But, you dev- but you know, if you ain't been going to church and you just decide this was going to be your Easter and Christmas year, you may only get two out of ten or three out of ten. All them questions that Jerry wants you to think, oh, we got the answer for that. Bullshit. They're not all getting answered correctly. Yeah, you're exactly right, and that's where you have problems. So, yeah, we will go through that at some point. But that's a look at where some of these positions rank and how the league views some of the players on the Cowboys. And, again, you got a borderline top 10 quarterback running back. The only people that you have solidly in the top 10 really are Parsons and Zach Martin. We'll see what they make. Wide receivers comes out tomorrow, followed by tight ends. Is Dalton Schultz a top 10 tight end? I can't wait to see some of the comments on Dalton Schultz. And then then finally, offensive tackles. Those are the next three positions. And and we'll see. I'm very curious to see if the Cowboys have any. Is CeeDee Lamb considered a top 10 wide receiver? I wouldn't think so. I wouldn't think so. I would. I'd be. And I'll be curious to see where Amari Cooper is put. Because there's a good chance that Amari Cooper is somewhere in like the top 12. And CeeDee Lamb's not even mentioned. Dalton Schultz, where's he going to be? Where's Tyron Smith going to be? Still very, very effective. Still one of the best in the game, but obviously not the elite level that he once was. So really paints a picture of how these Cowboys look heading into the 2022 season. But if you need something consistently, we can tell you this. If we were going to do rankings of mechanic shops and where to take your car, I think number one would be freeway tire shop. Number two would be freeway tire shop. And then you just stop the list. <laughs> yeah, man, that's because uh, the customer service over there is on point, man. And it's uh, it's been like that because J.R. learned customer service from uh, when he was in the Home Depot management program. And he just brought all that stuff with him to his own company, man. And, you know, I, I don't fix cars. I really don't. I put oil in them. I think that's about all I do. Oh, I check the air, the tire pressure. I do that. But outside of that, I don't really mess with cars, man. And so I've always needed a mechanic I can trust. And JR is that guy for me. He's my dog. And, um, man, I, I like him because you can trust him to diagnose the issue. Uh, you can also trust him to use quality parts to fix the issue. And that's a big deal, man, because cheap parts just mean you got to come back again to get the thing fixed at some point. Uh, I trust him to charge me a fair price. And then here's a, here's a, another big thing. I trust him to stand behind his work. Everybody don't do that, man. And uh, when you put all of that together, there's no reason to go to anybody but JR if you're in Dallas-Fort Worth. He's downtown, right off of 35 in Commonwealth. Uh, he's fairly convenient. And it's worth it, the fact that you trust him and the price is good. It is. You said it all. There's nothing else to add other than request a quote. <laughs> schedule an appointment it's online man freewaytireshop.com check them out cannot recommend anybody else and there's really no point if, if you need something done with your car jr and freeway tire shop that's where you got to go it's kind of like barbecue man i mean like like everybody that we work with we really believe in what they do and we're not bsing you guys 
Like, that's how we feel about Freeway Tire Shop. And the fact that we believe Smokey John's Barbecue, if you haven't been, will blow your mind. And that you can blind, if you want, don't even, the Jam Session Bowl, you're like, oh, yeah, it's the Jam Session Bowl. It's named for you guys. It's probably supposed to be really good. I bet if I went and got whatever, okay, do it. Go. Go and just, like, throw a dart at the menu that you can actually see. Whatever it lands on and you order that, it, it'll be amazing. Because their entire menu, and that is one thing, and you and I have talked about this, at Smokey John's Barbecue, their consistency and the level from whether it's ribs or whether it's brisket or the sausage or catfish, even with the sides, you don't get at most barbecue places because most places you go in and they'll tell you, hey, you should get the ribs. Really? But I wanted the brisket. Nah, get the ribs. At Smokey John's, you can get whatever you want and it's all going to be on that level. Dude, that's what makes them special. Uh, Brent and Wine have done a great job over there. Everything they make is from scratch. It's uh, it's fantastic. And uh, the good thing about it is if you don't live in DFW, you can still get Smokey John's at the crib, man. You go to the website, SmokeyJohns.com. You click on Marketplace. They got the rub there that they use on all the different meats. They got the sauce there that Matt drinks out of the bottle when he's not using it on his uh, homemade turkey wraps. <laughs> <laughs> and you can have a little taste of Texas wherever you are in the United States or the world within a few days yeah man make it happen uh, order something off the secret menu order the jam session bowl that they created just for the show and just for all of you that listen because they listen i mean juan listens to every episode you can have a great conversation with them and make fun of us or, or enjoy it or tell how crazy we are you'll have a great <laughs> chat with those guys it's smoky john's barbecue right off of mockingbird just east of 35 it's basically smack dab in the middle between 35 and love field right there off of mockingbird so swing by and make sure you mention that you heard about them on the jam session podcast so let's take this trip around the block and man there is a lot of wild stuff to get into on our trip today and i wanted to start i sent you this and i thought this was awesome because they just had over the course of this last weekend they had what is known as the united states open beer championship for 2022 over 9,000 entries from breweries around the world broken down into 150 different categories for evaluation and 19 beers from the dallas fort worth north texas area won medals which is pretty awesome man and I see the boys from False Idol got one. They did. False Idol, and I wanted to, to say congrats to those guys. I mean, they're good buddies of mine, and they've been slaying it. False Idol won a gold medal for their beer, Banquet Boy, which is basically like a craft version of Coors Original, and it's phenomenal. I mean, I, Banquet Boy is a phenomenal beer, but they won gold for Banquet Boy in the American Lager Pilsner category, so... You know, props to those guys, and you look at that, and the North Texas beer scene, which has grown so much over the recent years, is really starting, I think, to get more and more recognition on the national level. And it's it's because of things like this, like White Rock Ale House, for instance. And I don't think a lot of people realize White Rock Ale House is doing great stuff, man. Blake, the brewer over there, he can brew a mean beer. They won three medals. They won a gold for their Imperial Porter, a silver for their Imperial Stout, and a bronze for what's known as the specialty anything goes category for a dreamsicle beer. So you just, I mean, you look at the slew of different breweries around the area. 903 won, Bankhead won a gold, Cowtown, Deep Ellum, False Idol, Hop Fusion, Lakewood, Maple Branch, Oak Highlands, Pedicolis, White Rock, all those guys. 
So congrats to all those guys, man, because that's really cool. And, and it, it's one of those things that puts North Texas, like I said, more and more on the map from the variety of beers and the level of beer that's out there, which is really, really cool. So uh, I was a big fan. I was a big fan of that. I, I, and I, I thought, hey, uh, good for those guys. It's good to see oh, the good beers. Well, that means there's a lot of good, uh, there's a lot of great brewers and brewing going on in, in DFW because look at all those different breweries you rattled off, yeah. all doing, excuse me, all doing their thing and doing different types of beers. And, um, you know, for that, man, give those people a hand. You know, Dallas is a great beer scene. I, I'm new to it, um, but it's fantastic. Yeah, it's funny, too, because they have, and th this isn't really like, a, like, I don't know if they gave a medal for this, but every year at the U.S. Open Beer Championship, they do top 10 beer names that the judges liked, and, and they, I guess they rank these based on the ones that they laughed at the most. And it's funny because you look at some of these beer names, and how about this one? This one is called, and it doesn't say what style of beer this is, but it says, still not as bitter as your ex. For the name of a beer. How about that? Pretty That's solid. Got to be true. Pretty solid. Hell yeah. There's one called It Goza in Your Mouth. <laughs> I think that was the best for me. Kolsch me if you can. It's pronounced Frankenstein. There Goza My Pickle. Tastes like flannel. Julius Squeezer IPA. So, you know, it's always, I, I will tell you this, having worked at a couple of breweries, man, I, coming up with, Beer names is not easy to do. <laughs> I mean, it is it is not easy to do because you are sitting basically in a room and you're just looking around at each other and you're just, I mean, you're just throwing out weird crap to see if anything sticks, quite honestly. Well, when do you know if it sticks? People will laugh or it may be like a tip of the hat to a beer or it may be like, for instance, I told the story about how we got engaged and how we did a beer for that. And, you know, we went back and forth, me and the guy who was brewing the beer over there at Trim Tab for us. I mean, I probably sent, he's like, what do you want to name it? He's like, we got to have something cool that's not too obvious. And I was like, yeah, I was like, I've been trying to think about that myself. And I threw out, man, I must have thrown out probably 10 different names. You know, all really? kinds of different things, like, like just different random stuff off the top of my head. And then I had a couple, like the one that we chiseled down was... Originally, I threw out, I waited seven years for this. And he was like, oh, man, I kind of like that. Like, that's a, like a tip of the hat, but not blatantly obvious. And I was like, yeah, I was like, but it might be a little too obvious. And then it kind of, you know, came back to, well, what if we just called it seven years later? <laughs> right, right. And he right. was like, okay, yeah, that's it. And, and sometimes, like, when you're going through beer naming, you just kind of know. But it can be, I mean, you got to realize, because, like, a lot of people, they want to... You want to be original and you don't want something that everybody else is naming their stuff. But I mean, a lot of the times, just depending, like you may just, okay, look, we got to name the beer. We got like four of the beers we got to worry about today. What'd you just say? Cool. Name it that. <laughs> and keep it moving. Yeah, pretty much. And it depends like, okay, is this going to be a one-off or is this going to be a beer that we actually are going to put in package? Because if you're going to package it and it's going to be on a shelf somewhere or you need a tap or something, then you want a name that, that draws attention a little bit more than if you're only going to put it out in the tap room, something like that. You know what I mean? Where you may oh, not be absolutely. as concerned about it. Right. Especially if it's one-off. 
Yeah, right. So it's funny because I was just scrolling through the list of winners because I was curious to see if any breweries in Alabama won a beer, <laughs> like a medal. <laughs> and only one brewery did, and it's barely in Alabama. I mean, it's way down there in Mobile. It's called Oyster City Brewing Company, and I haven't seen anything from them up in this area, but I've heard of that brewery before, and they won two medals. So if I ever end up getting down to the beach sometime this summer, then I'm going to have to make sure that I swing by over there in Mobile and check those guys out. But that was it. The other thing here, and this is, you sent this story, and this is one of those stories, and look, your political beliefs kick ass, whatever they are, good for you, I don't care. But it's funny because when I originally saw this, I thought, well, just the headline, just the headline. My gut reaction was like, well, no, you can't do that. But then I thought about it. I was like, well, hold on a second. So apparently there is a lady in Texas who is fighting a traffic ticket and her case could set precedent because she was 32 weeks pregnant when she got pulled over in Dallas County for driving solo in the HOV lane. She says that she told the cop her unborn fetus was her passenger and cited the SCOTUS decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. And she said, I pointed to my stomach and said, my baby girl is right here. She is a person. She told the cop, I'm not trying to get political, but the Supreme Court decision means that in Texas, her fetus is a person. The cop just rolled his eyes, didn't buy it, wrote her a $275 ticket, and she says she is fighting this in court, and they're going to appeal this thing. And I got to tell you, man, based on the way that Texas banned abortion immediately when the Supreme Court ruling came down, she's right. Like, it, you, you can't sit here and say, oh, well, you can't have abortions because it's a person, but then give a ticket to somebody, especially a 32 weeks pregnant, and, and act like that's not a person in the HOV lane. You can't have both. Um, nope, you certainly can't. And that's why, to me, it was a, uh, it was a genius decision on her, on her part to, uh, to take that tact. And technically, she's going to be correct. I can't see her not, not getting a ruling in that because, you know, the law is supposed to be what the law says and how it's interpreted and you can't really interpret it any other way even though we both know it's kind of idiotic um the the way it's written it sounds like a. am trying to figure out how i can use that to my advantage uh, yeah i don't know how you can i mean i i don't know it's a lot easier for a lot easier for women i think i would because imagine. Not if you're a woman if, if it starts at conception man you just tell anytime you get pulled over yeah oh i'm three weeks pregnant yeah, but you can't have both. You can't sit here and say that it's a life and, and when it's only for abortion. That, I, I don't know that that works in court. And I'll be curious to see what they end up ruling on, on this case. Because if even at a small court, she'll just appeal it up higher. And this is one of those that somewhere somebody's going to have to make a decision on exactly what the ruling is. But like she well, says, you know, according to the new law, this is a life. So I shouldn't be getting ticketed for having... It, it, and I, I don't know. It's going to be very, very interesting to see how they interpret this and what the interpretation is. I mean, obviously, the the spirit of the HOV lane is to carpool. Right. Like the spirit truly of the HOV lane is for people that are of driving age. Instead of having two cars, they are riding together so that you have one car and it takes cars off the road. That's the spirit of the HOV lane. But to be fair, if you can't get a ticket for having a baby, like a one or a two-year-old in the car with you, 
then I, you know, based on what we're going through in recent times, she would be correct. Because really, the yeah. spirit, the spirit of the HOV lane is not even for you to take your one-year-old in the HOV lane. Honestly, because oh, they yeah. can't drive anyway. Right. You're not you're not taking a car off the road. No, no, you're right. But you know, man, this is how it always happens. It's always one person who finds a loophole in something. Yep. And when they do, um, you know, it's uh, there's a reason why they find a loophole and they exploit it and they use it and. Uh, you know, until it gets closed, other people come behind them and use it. Because I guarantee you, there's a bunch of women, uh, no shade at them, who hopped in their cars this day and said, oh, I'm going in HOV land today. Yep. That's a lot of people I would imagine, depending on this ruling. The other one that I have for you, before we get to what you want to talk about, which could be the weirdest conversation of all time, but the other one is, and this is kind of like maybe a quick little peep show here for you. But I have you gotten a chance at all to check out the terminal list on Amazon Prime? Okay, here's what happened. I was multitasking. And I said, oh, I'll turn this on. And I got through the first shoot 'em up scene, which if you've seen it, you know it's the first scene in the movie, so to speak, or thereabouts. And I couldn't pay attention to it, so I ran it back again, and I couldn't pay attention to it. And I said, okay, I have to pay attention to this to figure out what's going on. And so let me just put it down. And when I have time to pay attention to it, I will come back to it. Because, and I'm not giving away any plot secrets here. They were interrogating the main character. And I couldn't figure out why they were interrogating him after I watched it twice. So I said, clearly, I need to pay more attention. Yeah, you do. And I, I will tell you this. And I have read all five of the Terminalist books this year. Damn. Well, dude, I'm, I'm cruising. I, I just completed my, 20, oh. my 29th book last night. Wow. Okay, we're, we're, after this, we'll, we'll delve into that, because I just read two in the last week. Yeah, I, I've been knocking them out. And Terminalist was one I wanted to read because I was curious to see the show, so I wanted to know the backstory. And, I mean, I blew through those books. And I got to tell you, this show, in, it's always difficult, a, a movie, a show, Generally speaking, the book is going to be better. The problem with this show, and I don't understand why they did this. They made it eight episodes. There are so many holes in this show that there are times, and, and like with the lady fiance, when we're sitting there watching it, she's asking me, she's like, well, who's this person? And because and, they don't explain, like he's got people that he'll come across in the show and you don't know, well, how does he know this person? What is this person from? In the book, they give you all the backstory. And so I was telling her, I was like, oh, well, this is so-and-so and she came from this and this is how they met and why she's helping him do this. Or this is what this guy is. And man, in the show, they jump over a lot of that. And I didn't like that aspect at all. I also don't like how they make the James Reese character Chris Pratt plays him kind of the way that I pictured him, but without as much humor. Like in the books, he makes he makes a lot of humor in weird situations because he realizes, hey, I'm about to shoot this guy in the face. And so he might make a comment. And in this, it really makes James Reese seem like almost like a, a murderer versus a guy who is gung ho on I'm defending my family and country and it's so ingrained in me. And I just happen to be like one of the elite killing machines in the world that you can't cross me like this. And they do a really good job of painting that picture in the book where you're kind of like behind the guy. And in the show, there are times where you're like, I mean, that that the way it's portrayed in the show, that almost comes out more like cold-blooded murder. 
wow. Now, I wonder why he took a humorous character and made it more serious. Well, not that it's a humorous character, just that there are times in the books where he uses humor in the correct where situation. He flashes, where he flashes humor. Well, what's interesting is the guy who wrote the books was an executive producer on this series. And so I, I, I wish that there was more behind-the-scenes information on why they decided. Because if they had done... Like, a lot of TV shows are 12, 13 episodes that we've gotten used to. I mean, right. with, even even if they had done, like, three more episodes and made it 11, they could have really had more backstory. And, I, you know, who knows? Maybe they were just looking at seeing how much is this going to generate, what's the interest level. I, I don't know. But there just wasn't enough of that. And, and I thought some of it was just they moved through the story uh, so quickly. I'm going to tell you something, Matt. Take a take two minutes and take a chance, and we might get an answer. Find that dude on Twitter and shoot him a question. Yeah, I will. That's a good idea. Like for real, he for might real. answer because that's what I'm, I'm for real. Because it's the way you know. I read the five books in the in the books. He has a little more humor. How come y'all wrote that up? I'm just curious, and maybe he'll uh, if he sees it. Depending on how many followers he has, um, he may hit you back because that's a legitimate question from a fan. Yeah, it is. It, it very much no, is. No different than how, you know, when people send us legitimate cowboy questions, we answer them. When they send us kind of like stupid stuff, maybe you get answered if I got time, maybe you don't. But um, when you get a legitimate question, no matter, you know, even to take a couple days, you go back and get that person an answer. Or yeah. I do anyway. Yeah, and, and one of the things that I did like about it was, and I had read on this, I mean, the guy who wrote the books is a former elite-level Navy SEAL. I mean, he was doing all kinds of stuff, and it's interesting because he was very, very, I guess, passionate about making sure that the way that they executed certain things, like the way they carried their guns and reloaded and did the tactical stuff was the way that right. they would actually do it. And man, you can right. like Chris Pratt and Taylor Kitchen, these guys, you're like, oh my God, like, I mean, they are doing stuff. And that looks like they pluck some dudes out of the Navy SEALs and put them in a movie or a TV show. I mean, all that, the tactical stuff and the way they move and the way that they're, all that is is dead on. Even Chris Pratt said that was a really big deal to them when they were filming, that they wanted to make sure they got that aspect of it 100%. And they nailed that part from what I understand, which is really cool. No, that's all. I mean, that's why you have technical people on there, because you want the realism. You want it because you want it to have people who, are, who have been in those situations go, oh, okay, yeah, that's how they do it. You know, ain't no different than when I watch movies about that they have journalists in it. I go, come on, man, what are y'all doing? Nobody would ever do that. Yeah. Uh, and then there's other movies you go, spot on. It's just how we do it, just like that. Yeah, so it's, I think it's worth watching. I mean, I enjoyed it, but I think I might have enjoyed it more so because I, I, I already had all the information. Like, like book, so the Terminalist TV show covers book one of the Terminalist series. Right. And you might, if, if you enjoy that type of reading, then you might want to read the book because it gives you a lot of background information. So when you watch the show, you're like, oh, okay, I know why this is happening. I know who this guy is and I get it and all that. So I don't know, right. it might help. Now we just wait for the gray man because the gray man's the next one. And I've read all 11 books of the gray man this year as well. And I love them. It's, this is going to be badass. It's the Ryan Gosling movie that they've been showing previews for. It drops on Netflix in nine days, comes out Friday, July 22nd. It is the biggest budgeted Netflix movie of all time. And the previews wow. look badass. And Ryan Gosling just, and this is just previews. Again, you're not going to be able to get as much information in a two and a half hour movie or whatever as you can get in a, a book that takes five days to read. But 
It, right. it, from what I've seen in the previews, it looks like the Gray Man is going to be very, very good. So I'm, I'm looking forward for that. to that. I'm looking forward to all of those. Who knows when I'll ever get to see them. Hopefully, you'll get a chance to check it out. But speaking of checking out, so you brought, and I don't know why this is weird for guys to talk about. I guess because it's not <laughs> anything that we ever deal with. It's something right. that our ladies, I mean, every woman on the planet has to deal with this. Half right, of right, the right. population alive has to deal with it at some point or another. Or check it out, your daughters. Or, right, exactly. That's what I'm saying. I mean, it's whoever you're involved with. I mean, it's a reality of life. And, and that is, and you brought this up this morning. You go, when was the last time you had to go out and buy any feminine hygiene products? And I thought, <laughs> man, I wasn't expecting to go down that rabbit hole today, but... I, I, I don't remember the last time. It's probably happened at some point in my life. I think most people remember the first time. And this came up because I saw somebody doing it at uh, Walmart this morning. And, <laughs> and it brought back a memory. And I was just like, I remember the first time. Oh, oh can you go get them out? Can you go get them for me? I'm cramping really bad. I really need them. And I was just like, you know, because they got like 27 kinds. And you can't bring back the wrong kind. They got kinds you insert and kind that you use liners and kind with wings and kind with non-wings and super this and mini that. And so first off, you got to get the right kind. And I remember when I first went, I was like, can you please write down in specific details what you need? Because I don't want to do this again. But I'm doing, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm doing this. And I don't know why it's so embarrassing. It's like the first time you buy condoms. And, hey, uh, I can't get the price. Done. Price check on aisle three. Condoms, please. And you're like 19 or 18. You're like, oh, my God. Everybody knows what I'm trying to do now. Not that they even care. And so it just dawned on me that uh, whenever the first time you have to do that, it's just, and you're right. I don't know why it's such, it's a normal human thing. It's no different. It's no different than, hey, we need, we're out of toilet paper. Can you go get some? <laughs> I mean, everybody does it. Everybody uses it. I don't know why, why it's such a big deal or why guys make such a big deal about it. But I was one of those guys who used to make a big deal about it. And so it was just funny because uh, that dude looked miserable this morning. And so the good thing is, and here's what I came up with, Matt. It's better if, like I was thinking about my dude. When he has to do that, it's at some point. It's a lot better now than it was when I was a kid. You know why? There's one reason why, Matt. Do you tell? Self-checkout. Okay. Nobody, nobody has to know. You just go over there and clink it, and boom, you're out. And uh, you're liberated and free, and you can go back to, to, to your girl, and she's all happy. Yeah, that's, even you know. Even though you aren't getting any for a few days, but hey. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Well, I mean, some, pe I some people go down that road, but I don't want to talk about that. The first, I, I, I don't know, like it, I, it just doesn't really bother me because like I said, it's like something that half the population has to go through. And I'm like, I mean, like, what would it be? Is, is somebody going to, oh, I can't believe you're doing that. And like, what, you can't believe that I have a woman at home that I love? It sucks for you, I guess. <laughs> I don't know what to tell I you. Know. I think it's just the immaturity of guys. Yeah, anyway. it probably is. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's. <laughs> it's the first time. Or the second time, you know, after that, just say, hey, okay, fine, here, boom, 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 it's not a big deal. 
But, uh, you know, the first couple times it is, I think, anyway. Okay, okay, all right. I mean, I got you. I mean, it, it's one of those things, like, for me, and this is just, like, anything that's specific for her, and, and it's not even necessarily that type of stuff. I mean, she uses a specific type of laundry detergent because she has allergic reactions and stuff. And right. so now I know exactly, like, it's ingrained in me that I know what to get. But there's two of them that look really similar. And she used to, t it has a specific colored cap, but it's really close to another colored cap. And sometimes I, like, outthink it when I go, and I'm, i got to grab it. And I'm sitting there, and I'm looking, I'm like, okay, no, I think, no, is it, no. So I, I've told her before, and she did it enough where now, like, anytime I need to grab something, I'm like, send me a picture. Text me the picture of exactly what I'm supposed to get. And then I go down the aisle on my phone and I'm trying to match the product to the picture. Oh, I think that's the advantage in today's world. Yeah, yeah. In today's that. world, that's what I do. Like she's like, anytime I go to the store by myself, she literally, instead of texting me a list, she'll send me pictures of what I'm supposed to get. Because I'm I dumb actually, and I, I need pictures. <laughs> no, I'm like you. I actually prefer that. Um, if there's something really that's like, okay, this is the one I want or the one I need. I'm all about that. I tell my dude to do that too, man. I tell everybody if if I'm going for you and I'm not familiar with it, just send it so we can remove any ambiguity about it. Yeah, and and that's that's actually a great tip for for all you ladies that are listening. I mean, I got to be honest with you. There are certain things, and it, it, regardless of whatever it is, that apparently really need to be specific. And I'm just going and I mean, mustard, I, whatever. Oh, mustard. Here it is. And she's like, No, no, no. Not that kind. I'm like, what do you mean? It's mustard. You said get mustard. <laughs> you know, so th that's why it, it's one of those things. I mean, there, there's a variety of different things. Like, for instance, you know, I have finally learned that the towels that hang off the oven handle are decorative, and I'm not supposed to use those ones to dry off my hands. Because in my head, I'm like, I mean, it's a towel. Who cares? It's, yeah, bro. She's I, like, no, no, no. We, th those are just for display. I'm like, then what? What do you mean they're just for display? You know, she's like, oh. oh, my God. She's like, the towels that we use to dry our hands are in this drawer. I'm like, well, I'm not going to think open the drawer over here when there's a towel literally right there. So now she starts laying out towel, you know. I mean, it's just different little things like that. I'm, I've tried to tell her, like, my brain doesn't work this way. My hands are wet, icy towel. I've hand wet, towel dry. I, too, have been punished for crimes like that. I mean, that's just how it goes, I feel like. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> You know, there's, it is interesting, like, the, and I don't know if everybody is like this, it's just the differences in, like, little, like, little details that I feel like sometimes women are just more into the details, and guys are not as much on a lot of different items. Yeah, I'm not opposed to that. I think there's some truth in it. And that's kind of how I feel like when we're shopping and whatnot. I mean, I'm just grabbing, like, I could, I literally could go grocery shopping by myself and be in and out of a store in under 30 minutes. But when we go together... Perfect. Half the time, I'm just sitting on my phone wondering, will I spend the night in this grocery store? <laughs> I, I don't have any problem doing that. I prefer to go, like, go by myself. I, I mean, it's, <laughs> there are times where I'm just sitting there and I'm going, we basically get the same thing every time. Why are you reading the box? It's the same thing that we got last time we were in the store. Like, you know what it is. What's happening here? I don't know. It's one of those things, man. And then you just kind of let it go. And, you know, it's one. It, a lot of it comes down to different strokes for different folks. Not everybody. And that took me a long-ass time in relationships to be able to accept. And is one of the reasons probably at the core of why I've had failed relationships in the past is it took me a long time to just let somebody else do their own thing and be totally cool with that. 
even if it's stuff that drives me insane. Such it, as? It, just that grocery shopping, the, the oh, way okay. that, that you put towels out that I'm not supposed to, you know, I mean, it could be all kinds of little things like, like, well, why do you do it that way? You should do it this way. And now I'm like, well, that's the way you do it. And that's what makes you happy. And so that's, what's cool. And just because I don't do it that way, nothing's wrong. We just do it different ways and we accept that. Right. And it's not that big a deal. Exactly. And I don't know why that took me so long in my life to figure out, man, but it's a damn good thing I did <laughs> because if I hadn't, I, you know, who knows what the hell I, I don't know, man, but it, it's, I don't know. A lot of times I just let it go now. And there are times now where I will say, okay, cause she, there, we just do like the way we do dishes and the way, I mean, there's just different things that are so trivial. And sometimes now we've got a system because, and I don't know why she doesn't like me to unload the dishwasher because she's not convinced that I wash my hands before I touch the dishes, which is probably true. Sometimes I probably don't. And in her mind, those are super clean dishes. Your hand should be super clean when you get the dishes out of the dishwasher. So she unloads the dishwasher, and I will take the dirty dishes and put them in the dishwasher. I'm, I feel you, bro. Whatever works for y'all. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, man. I mean, it's one of the, because I can't stand having dishes in the sink. I can't stand it. And she, like, I don't like clutter at all. It, it makes me... I'm not OCD and I don't have anxiety or anything, but it, it, I, I, need, like it. I need clean, clean and clutter doesn't work for me. And I have to have stuff specifically. Okay. Maybe I do have it a little bit. I probably okay, do have a little you. bit, but and that's okay. I, I like organized and I like even sometimes like somebody could probably look at my desk and be like, well, that looks cluttered. I'd be like, not really. Like everything has a specific place and I know exactly where it is when I need to reach for it. I just True happen it. to have a lot of things on my desk that I use, but I know what they that's are the and key. I know where they go. That's the key. Exactly. So everybody why people down. need. Well, I was going to say, that's why people need to stay off your desk. Exactly. Because it's not your, your, desk. your chaos <laughs> makes sense to you. Right. And that's the key of it, man. And that's something that I think what you just said is something that it took me a long ass time to understand in others that it can be chaos, but it makes sense to them. And a lot of that chaos doesn't affect me and I don't need to worry about it. Right, right, right. That's a man. That's a really good phrase. I like that quite a bit. Thank you for using. That's what I'm here for, baby. All right. So as we move forward here, a couple other things to get into with you here this morning, or this afternoon, or this tonight in the middle of night. Who knows when you guys are listening to this? But before we do that, let's tell you about HFX Foundation Solutions again. And it's really, really key. These are the hot summer months, man. This is when your house is going to start telling you, "Help me." Help me, I'm cracking. <laughs> My doors are sticking. Help me. And you're going, what is that? What Do you hear that? And you just ignore it. And then the next thing you know, you've got a serious problem. HFX Foundation Solutions does it all. They're a full-service foundation repair company. They specialize in slab. They do pier and beam. They, they do drainage. If your property's not draining correctly, they can help you. They do gutter installation. All that stuff plays back into your foundation. They're local, they're family-owned, and they serve the entire DFW area. HFX Foundation Solutions. Do not delay. You don't want to screw around with foundation stuff. No, nah, man, not in Texas. Not when the temperature is like it is. Not when the soil is as rooty poot and raggedy as it is. Um, you want it to be taken care of. And the best way to do that is to call to call um, Aaron and his team over there at HFX and let them give your house the colonoscopy, as we call it. Let them give it a once-over. Let them sh check it out. Make sure everything's cool. 
because that's the peace of mind that we all want, man. Nobody who's been a homeowner, I've been one for 20 years, wants foundation issues, bro. Only thing worse than that is getting that certified letter from the IRS. <laughs> that's probably very true, man. So give them a call. Aaron and his guys, again, family owned. They're going to take care of you. It's 817-770-0174. 817-770-0174. A-rated with the Better Business Bureau or online. You can check them out at hfxfoundation.com. So we mentioned the Rangers the other day and a couple of notes about the Rangers as they embark on the final week before the All-Star break next year, next year, next week. All-Star break is actually next Tuesday. And there will be, because there has to be, you are forced in Major League Baseball, every team has to be represented in the All-Star game. The Rangers have one All-Star, which I don't think is surprising to anybody. And that one All-Star is none other than Martin Perez, who is having, we mentioned this the other day, an absolute career year. He has been not only the Rangers' best pitcher, he deserve, he deserves to be an all-star, regardless if it was a requirement or not to be every team having one. He would have been named anyway because he has been one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball for the first half of the season. Oh, there's no doubt about that, man. He's been terrific. Uh, he's I think he's 7-2 with a 2.72 ERA, and that's after giving up six runs uh, the other day. Now, you, you, you can look at a six-run performance and go, that sucks. And it does, except that he gave him up all in one inning, which means he was good before then. And check this out, man. He survived the inning and came back and threw another two shutout innings right after that. And I think the Rangers lost 6-5, but the fact that he was able to throw those two shutout innings kept them in the game and allowed the, gave them an opportunity to come back. And so that's a sign of maturity. Um, he's having a hell of a year. It's a career year. Um, at his age, you know, uh, it's uh, it's been impressive. It's more, you know, the Rangers, this is what they do. They don't draft well. They draft like crap. But what they have done well over the last several years is find older veterans, sign them, mm -hmm. and just freaking maximize those guys, man. This is like three or four or five years in a row where they find a dude off the scrap heap that we go, really? This yeah. is who you're bringing in? And about midway through the season, we go, wow, who knew he had something left? Yeah, I mean, this follows up Lance Lynn, Mike Miner in the last couple of years. I mean, guys that just yeah. come in, and then they're able to flip them for some prospects, and then it's a win-win for everybody, which has been great. Right, 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 right. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's weird to think. I mean, Martin Perez, when he started all the way back in 2012, that year after the World Series debacle, everybody was like, okay, you know, this is – he's got a potential to be at worst like a Derek Holland. And I kind of feel like in his career, he was basically a poor man's version of Derek Holland. Had a couple right. of decent seasons with Texas originally. You know, he did seven seasons with the Rangers before he left and, and was in Minnesota for a year, Boston for a couple of years, and now coming back, but not like this. I mean, he, he's never, for anybody, pitched on the level that he's pitching at this year. I mean, there's a very good chance that if the Rangers' bats come around a little bit for him, that he might win a career high. His career high is 13. And he's already seven and two, so if he he he's got a chance to maybe get to fourteen or fifteen wins, depending on the second half of the season. But good for him. The other interesting nugget, and this is, man, I mean, this is wild. Is the reports that have come out, and, and look, you got to do your due, your due diligence. The Rangers. Right, right. Apparently are exploring <laughs> options for trades and not necessarily as sellers, but potentially buyers. 
And one of the conversations they have had is with the New York Yankees about possibly trading for Joey Gallo. Now, some of you may be going, what the hell? Yes, the Rangers fleeced the Yankees. The Rangers stole from the Yankees last year in the Joey Gallo trade. Wow. It's true. I mean, there's no other way to describe it other than this has been a colossal bust for the Yankees. Joey Gallo has been straight trash. He's been atrocious in New York. He currently is one of the worst hitters on the team, batting 166. He only has 10 home runs, which of their regulars is fifth in their lineup, tied for fifth on the team. Matt Carpenter has 10 home runs. You know, he's 20 behind Aaron Judge. He's 12 behind Stanton. He's 12 behind Rizzo. He's three behind Torres. He has been absolute garbage trash, all while leading the team in strikeouts and not walking nearly enough to justify him even getting in the game. Well, damn, how do you really feel? I mean, it's just truth. I'm just painting the true picture. Now, other people talk about his OPS and his defense and and those things. Is is that you want him back? You got any interest? His OPS is dead last on the Yankees of their regular players. His on-base percentage is dead last on the Yankees of their regular players. His batting average is dead last of their regular players. Oh, I'm sorry. Aaron Judge has one more strikeout than him. He has 92 in 70 games. He has 34 hits, which is 10th on the team, dead last out of their regular players. Again, do I want him back? And that's the interesting question. Because there, there are some thoughts out there that the Yankees might just release this dude because they ha- he's just a hole in their lineup. And so what's interesting to me is it's not going to cost you anything. Like, you're basically going to be able to get him for free. Like, you, you can give up some low-level prospect who you don't even care about or project to the majors, and they might be willing to part with Joey Gallo for that in a bag of baseballs. The problem becomes Joey Gallo is a free agent at the end of the year. You may be able to sign him for a steal of a deal, but he didn't fit into your future plans when you traded him a year ago. Why all of a sudden now would he fit into your future plans? Well, see, I thought he didn't fit into their future plans because they're like, oh, we're not going to be able to afford him. Scott Boris is his agent. He's going to want $27 trillion, this, that, and the other thing. He's not a $27 trillion player. I mean, he's, I mean, he's basically just a guy. And so now you can't ask yourself, do you want just a guy? Is a, is a dude like that part of your future? And I'm not sure he's a good dude. He's a, he plays a good right field or left field or wherever you need to play him because he's a really good athlete. Mm-hmm. But after um, – I was trying to f- figure out. Uh, but as long as he's been in the big leagues now, he's not figured out this hitting thing. And so as many as it, as it bats as he's had, I don't think he's going to figure it out. I think he is who he is. At this point in his career, he's had 2,200 – big league at bats with a career batting average of 202 mm-hmm. or 202 I'm sorry um and on base percentage of 329 in his career his career OPS of 804 I think that's pretty good or it's at least a solid but dude I mean he's been in the big leagues since 2015 bro yeah yeah I mean he, he's this, this, seven this. years in yeah this is who he is and even in his best years, his best years, 2017, 41 bombs, only 80 ribbies, bro. 
Um, his other big year, 2018, 40 bombs, 92 ribbies. That's a little bit better, but he hit 209 one year and 206 the other year. Um, and even the year where he led the American League in walks, okay, we're going to give you some love for that, with 111. He also struck out 213 times, which led the league, and hit 199. Yeah, I mean, he's the ultimate model of the three true outcomes. He walks, he hits a home run, or he strikes out. And, like, you're painting the picture of, and that used to be the biggest frustration. And part of it is guys not getting on base in front of him. But it's also the fact that when guys did, like, for what – he hit a ton of solo home runs. And you kind of – don't do us no good. Right, and you wonder, is this a dude who cannot perform when the pressure is on? And then you look at – he goes to the huge market where the scrutiny is as high as it is. It's higher in New York with the Yankees than it is anywhere, and he's been a colossal bust. Like, he can't play on that stage – that was always a thing is what does it take to sign Joey Gallo? He turns 29. He'll be 29 this offseason after this year. And originally it was, oh, it's going to cost eight years. I wanted nothing to do with Joey Gallo past like 32. I still feel that way. Now, what's interesting is Major League Baseball is banning the shift starting in 2023. Does banning right. the shift help a guy like a Joey Gallo where all of a sudden he can get on base more? He's getting more hits. He doesn't necessarily have to hit constant home runs because he can hit it through. Because now you just shift on Joey Gallo, and it's like, well, I'm not going to get on base with a hit. I have to hit a home run. So I don't know. It's what does it cost? What are you giving up in long term? Because if you trade for him, you're going to re-sign him. That would be the goal. How much would you be able to get him for? Does he fit into your future plans? And do you believe that he can give you one of those seasons that he had from 2017 to 2019. Or even I'll take a 2021 season when he hit 38 home runs and walked 111 times. He only hit 199, but you're getting on base that much. You can kind of, I guess, live with that. But like you said, he is what he is, and I don't know how you value that. I don't know what the value on that is. Now, the issue is he's, you're right, he's been absolutely atrocious in New York. In 128 games, he's hitting 163 with 23 homers and 43 RBI. I mean, you can't really be much worse than that. Uh, now, that makes that 211 in Texas seem a hell of a lot better. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if you were putting him in the back of the lineup, you know, because now he doesn't have to carry it with Simeon and Seager and a couple other guys, and he'll play a good outfield for you, there might be a spot for him. But I wouldn't trade for him, man. Well, you know what? I might. I don't know. I think you're right. I'm not going to trade for him unless he's unless we're signing a long-term deal. And unless I get you to basically agree to terms before the trade, I, I don't want you, bro. Because I don't want Boris coming up with some, well, you know, he's worth this. He's yeah. not, bro. No, I'm out. And, and like, for me, if, if you want to check in on him in the offseason and, and see where you're at and how much it might cost then, I'd rather do that. You know what? Because what's the point of giving up anything? I don't think he adds anything. You don't need him this year. Checking him on the offseason and be like, hey, man, how cheap can we get you? And and maybe maybe Joey Gallo is a dude next year that is your Mike Miner, your Martin Perez, where you sign a guy for a year and you put a team option on the second year and you see what he's got and you do one year for $10, $12 million and see if he can come out and show you something. I think you're right on that tip, bro. And be like, you got to prove it, man. You got to prove that what you've done the last year and a half with the Yankees was an anomaly and that you can revert back to what we had for a couple of years here in Texas. True, now, true. that I might be interested in. Yeah, I think you're right. But I, I, want, I want nothing to do with that dude long term. I, I just, 
I don't know that you relying on hitting the home run ball. I don't know that that ages well. No, because you couldn't hit when you were a young man with bat speed. Exactly. I, I don't. I don't want to do that. I don't want any type of long term deal that ties you to that dude for longer than a couple of seasons. Honestly. And I ain't paying you shit, though. I agree. I'm the same <laughs> way. All right. Our, our final thing for you as we wrap this up is the reports that have now come out, and we have learned. We talked about this. It, it was very, very tragic. I, I think all of us were stunned. I mean, I had multiple friends who texted. You know, our fantasy group was like, "Oh my god." This was about six weeks ago, June 1st, when Marion Barber III was found dead in his apartment in Frisco. And we all were like, I mean, what happened? What happened to Marion Barber? And now we know. And it's, it's very, very unfortunate because we now know that his death was caused by a heat stroke. A heat stroke at 38 years old is what took the life of Marion Barber. And man, that's just one of those things that if anybody has ever suffered heat exhaustion or borderline heat stroke, I mean, you, you can't, that is one of the scariest things that can happen to you and can really screw you up, man. And, and it, it's just, that's so sad. That's just so sad. Yeah, it is, man. And, uh, you know, we were kicking around because, you know, I, for the first time uh, ever, I had some real dehydration issues. I was at uh, with my granddaughter. Uh, I think it was in September. That go ape, uh, uh, you know, course in in um, oh, Plano. Yeah, I remember you, that? Yeah, where you go over ladders and stuff. It's twenty, thirty feet high. And I was uh, I was so impressed with all my new athleticism and strength, uh, even though I I don't like heights at all. And, uh, dude, that's about three quarters of the way through. And I was just like, why am I feeling weird? And then I said, well, maybe I'm just, maybe it's just in my head. And then I took another, I was just, you know, because like I said, you're 20, 30 feet high. I'm not, yeah. finna, I don't hike, I don't like heights anyway, but I'm not finna go across this, this, this wooden bridge that's swaying. If I don't feel a hundred percent locked in even though you're attached by cables and stuff. But, I mean, and so ultimately, man, uh, it turned out I was dehydrated. My fingers were like prunes, like you've been in a bathtub for, you know, an hour or so. Yeah. And, um, dude, I was like, wow. And so uh, ultimately I couldn't finish the course, and uh, I was down there on the ground, like literally on the ground getting fluids pumped into me. I mean, drinking bottles and all this other stuff for probably an hour. And uh, when I got back home and stepped on the scale, dude, I had gained like nine pounds just in terms of fluids that they put all in me. Yeah. I mean, that's how it works. Like, it, they have to pump you back. And a lot of the times when you get to that level, a lot of the times it's sodium loss that can, yeah. that can trigger. And they've got to get you, you know, they'll give you IVs that have sodium in them and your electrolytes get too low. Because what happens is a lot of people forget that when, when you're in this type of heat, especially what all of us are dealing with right now, and I work out outside, I work out in my garage and it's generally like at three, three thirty in the afternoon when it's hot and I sweat a ridiculous amount. I mean, it, it's, Last Friday, I kid, this is wild, man. It, it was like, because I worked out for about an hour and then I mowed the yard. And I got so sweaty, it was literally, not an exaggeration, like I had jumped in a pool and gotten out where I could wring sweat out of my clothing. So much so that when I hung up my shorts to dry, 
the next morning, there was a gooey puddle of sweat that had soaked down to the bottom and dripped onto the floor underneath it. Good never, grief. never experienced anything like that. Now, so what I have learned to do is that when you are doing stuff like that, it's not just drink water. The problem right. becomes when you sweat that much, if all you're doing is drinking water, you're not replacing your sodium loss and you're not replacing the electrolytes. And that can actually put you in a really dangerous spot. You have got to drink electrolytes. You have got to drink something that has sodium in it. As a matter of fact, last Friday when I was doing that, I drank two 32-ounce Powerades while I was working out and mowing the yard to make sure that I was, my electrolytes are here, my sodium is here, in addition to making sure, you know, I would pour water on my head and stuff like that so I don't become too overheated. You got to take that stuff seriously, and you have to make a note for all of you listening. It can't just be water. Right. And that's what I was doing that day. It's just water. Yep, because it that, was, that wasn't enough. It, man. Yeah, it wasn't enough. And then there wasn't enough water. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's like when it when it's dehydration and sodium loss, then you got a real problem. But I mean, people don't realize, man, sodium loss alone can just F you up. I mean, you can drink, you can be hydrated, you can be drinking a ton of water. Then what happens is, OK, you've lost all the sodium and electrolytes and now you're flooding your system with water and washing out the little bit that you have left. Yeah, bro, it's a it's a it's a weird feeling, dangerous feeling. It's a yeah, like, um, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, that's what it is. It's, it, it can be when you get to that level of it, you have to be very, very, very careful. Very careful. And, you know, uh, the thing about Marion Barber is he was known to work out in those kind of high, um, yeah. you know, you know, in extreme heat because that's what he liked. Uh, in part, and I get that because I'm a guy who liked to sweat. Like I walked in the gym the other day and uh, they were like, hey, the air conditioner's out today. I was like, good. I'll keep it too cold in here anyway. I like to sweat. Uh, that's why I like the sauna. Uh, but even one day I was in the sauna, and it was, I don't know, two or three months ago, and I was like, I'm not feeling good. And I stayed in another minute, and I was like, you know what? Today I'm just going to cut this short today because uh, I feel like I'm getting a little dizzy. Yeah, and that'll so do it to I, you, man. I, I, and so, you know, I put my ego to the side and came out just because, uh, you know, in those situations, the worst thing you can do is uh, ignore your ignore your body. And, you know, that's the thing. And I, I told you this, you know, with people like you who have a certain mentality about pushing on and not quitting and have a certain level of mental toughness. Um, and for a professional athlete like Marion Barber, it's, it would be easy for him to ignore the signs because mentally he's so strong because there's very few. I mean, that's that's common for for elite athletes. Yeah, it is, man, because you you're exactly right. And, and you just end up you push through it. You say, no, keep going. You know, it's not a big deal. And then those little things turn into big deals that really could have been avoided because most normal people that aren't insane, we'd be like, hey, something's off here. I should stop. Exactly. <laughs> when, yeah, and that's something I, I try to be cognizant of. And, and you know, it, it's tough. It's tough, man. I mean, there are times where it, it's very difficult. And, and you know how it is when you get into working out and doing those things, and it becomes regular, a part of what you do, you you get high off of it, and you look forward to it. And when you have to take time off or cut your workout short, it, it mentally, it just put you don't like it at all. No, you have to fight through that. Yeah. And that's the problem. Like you, you have to reverse fight through it and be like, I have to accept this because my body is telling me I, I need a day off or my body is telling me I need to stop like something's wrong. That, that's it's a I know it sounds strange, but that is a weird balance for certain people. And that, my friends, 
is a podcast. I hope everybody enjoyed this one back with another new episode for you on Friday morning. So be ready for that and keep helping us out with those retreats, telling your friends about it, everything that you guys do out there. When you post about us on social media, when you retweet the links to the podcast, I mean, it all helps and it all grows. It all matters. We appreciate you and we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session Podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.